Oh, hey, Evan. <laughs> hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for <laughs> time another episode. For another episode. Run down. Run down. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, that was good. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to a completely normal episode of Runtime Rundown, the show where we read the web dev news so you don't have to. I'm here with Mr. Joe B, front end developer at Blank. That's me. And I, I am Evan C, uh, front end developer at Amazon. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, let's see. We, we're having a little technical, <laughs> having a little technical problem today. Our sound effects are not working. We usually have these like sound effects that we can play live, and they're not working live. So we're gonna do it in post. Uh, but if you hear anything sounds a little off today, that might be why. Um, Evan, I have a question for you. Are you? I, and it sounds like we're gonna jump right into our our thing, but we're not. Uh, my question is: Are you a night owl or a morning person? An early morning bird. bird. Morning yeah. bird, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I was curious because the other th- interesting thing is that we're doing a late episode this week. We're doing late night uh, runtime rundown after dark this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm at like two two and a quarter percent. Yeah, uh, capacity right now. This is um, it's basically my bedtime. Uh, I so. am uh, have always been a full on night owl. So like this is when I'm just getting started. But I like oh. every day, every night. I I, I have to uh, kind of like. I have to fight against it and I have to go to bed early. Cause I'm, I mean, early, early in quotes at like, you know, 1130 is, is early. Cause I would just stay up all night otherwise. So this is my prime time. I'm, I'm ready oh, to go. Man, we're in the sweet spot. We're in Joe yep. Boyle's sweet spot. Um, before we, before we go any further, I have to make two shout outs. One, we got a submission, uh, the other day from our dear, dear friend, Ray O'Connor. Uh, we did. I missed it. Show. I, I got, oh. I gotta, I gotta go see that. He literally said, I miss you, Joe. He didn't even say, oh, I miss you. Man. Evan. He said, wow. I miss you, okay. Joe. <laughs> How did I thought I had my email alert set up? I got to check this out. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so shout out to Ray O'Connor. Uh, we miss you, buddy. We, we're excited for, for you to hopefully come back in the industry soon. And um, yeah, just good to have you as a listener. Good to have you. Absolutely. Around. I miss you too, Ray. Uh, other shout out. To Mr. Ryan Ellison, um, a little while back, we did an episode where I said, I want to do a side project where I can make one American dollar. Uh, Ryan Ellison transferred us each $1. I haven't hey. given you your dollar yet because <laughs> I forgot, uh, but he transferred it and said, so you can achieve your dream. So we did it. That's amazing. We, <laughs> we did, did it. it. Thanks. We Thanks, have Ryan. made... Yeah, so that was pretty funny. And shout out to Ryan. Also, just uh, just landed a new role, so really excited for you there. Yeah, that's the end of my shout outs. I wanted to make sure I front loaded them. I like it, uh, so people didn't have to wait fifty five minutes through what might be a train wreck of an episode without any of our uh, sound effects. Or yeah, that's the thing. We're we're gonna do them uh, ourselves, and we'll maybe release them. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but Joe, what's new with you? Uh, that's about it. I mean, uh, do you, do you have anything? I was, I wanted to, I wanted to ask if you were a night owl, but we already covered that. Are you, um, do you have anything else going on in your life or should we jump right into it? 
nothing is exciting going on in my life. My grass project that I talked about a while ago, how I'm like really interested in growing grass. That yeah. was what I was oh, learning. I yeah. Crushing it. It is going <laughs> nice. super well. So I just wanted a little update, grass update. It's good. Uh, pretty much at 99% coverage at this point. Stick. I got micro clover nice. out there overseeding. Ooh, nice. Ooh. Uh, well, that's, that's oh, it. That's a new thing that that I can uh, I can talk about this week. I found three. Speaking of clovers, I found three four leaf clovers in like a little cluster. It was the most four leaf clovers I've ever seen in one place. Whoa! Did you do anything yeah. weird after you found it? Like go buy a lottery ticket or something like that? Or no, I should have. Like, I found oh, cool. a fourth one. I, I looked around for a fourth one because like four four leaf clovers. You got. I mean, you have to find the fourth one. Wow. I found a fourth one. Yeah. Dang, that's sixteen clover leaves. That's a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, let's let's just get right into it. All right, what are you reading? <laughs> okay, I am reading an article called "Imaginary Problems Are the Root of Bad Software." Uh, I don't know the author. Let's see, uh, is the author written somewhere? I don't know. Like I've never read this blog before. It's called Sir. Cerebral Lab. It's kind of hard to say Cerebral Lab. Yeah, it uh, looks like the author's author. name is George Hosu. George Hosu. Uh, <clears throat> anyways, this article has it's it it's sort of like an existential article, a little bit about uh, the state of software development um, and how people tend to have if they're working on things that aren't super interesting they tend to make them interesting in ways that aren't necessarily productive. Um, and this starts with sort of discussing a scenario where, and this is really common to us all, where you say what you want a product to do and developers somehow hear something completely different and come back with that. And you're like, what is this? And and then <laughs> it, it kind of keeps, it keeps going rising in scope uh, about how like long chain communication, um, you know, where you've got people in betweens, you know, a lots of different in betweens can essentially play a game of telephone. And that what you start uh, with as like a acceptance criteria ends up being completely different, even inside of your own company. And then we get even bigger where it's like people are building the wrong software perpetually because the industry has inertia to do that. You yeah, know, this like takes many different forms. You could hear uh, like promotion driven development, uh, like job security development. You know, there's a lot of terms I think we jokingly throw around, but there's some cogent arguments in here about why these might be real. Uh, and that's it. Like the article is it just and then it gets like way deep at the end. So we, we'll yeah. get into all this. Uh, but yeah, that's that's sort of the, the TLDR there. Yeah, they're speaking of like uh, uh, speaking of, of job job security driven development. There's there's that you know kiss keep it simple stupid, but there's also kick me keep it complicated keep me employed. Uh, yeah, just me exactly. Um, the the kind of like yeah the the first thing that jumps out to me the first section it's not it's not really broken up into sections but there's a, a quote in here that says the uh, imaginary problems are often more fun to solve than real ones and to me that's kind of like the crux of the whole article because like I think we've all been there it seems like I don't know I know I personally one of the first things that attracted me about software development in general is like you're kind of solving puzzles all day and like I love that like I'm a puzzle solver I just like to get kind of immersed into my own brain and kind of figure out like just 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 dive in and like surround myself with with a with a puzzle and try and work my way out of it and 
that uh, it gets boring when you are solving the same problem that you've solved a dozen times before. And so I think we're always looking for something that's going to challenge us. And when our job is paying us to do the thing that we've done before, we find new ways to, to make it interesting. And so sometimes that is compatible with what the task at hand and other times it's not other times we kind of like, you know, we kind of either have to um, do something that's a little bit on the side of the, the work that we're trying to do, or it might be like wholesale new thing. It might be like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be working on uh, task X, but like, Hey, look, I sped up our deploy pipelines by 20%. It's like, that wasn't like what you were supposed to be doing. And yes, it has value, but it's sort of, I don't know, it's maybe it's, maybe that's not quite an imaginary problem, but it is, uh, it's, I think it's what this, this author is talking about. It's like this, this problem that is fun to solve, but it's not actually the business critical thing that you're being paid to solve. Yeah. That's sort of the first anecdote, which I thought was funny because it talks about a podcast website. Um, yeah. the quote that I love is most programmers want to get paid and have fun at the same time. And that I just, I think that's true. I do. I want that too. And then I think what privilege we have. <laughs> like, yeah. No, I don't want to do that. Uh, that's stupid. Yeah. But they, they lay out this example where you say like you're a podcast host, you lay out your app requirements, fast load time in North America, doesn't fresh like crash or freeze. That's it. Has some Google AdWords. Uh, links to products in your Zazzle shop and integrates the Facebook Live player. But like, if you don't want to use Facebook Live, you might be able to do something, maybe so, maybe another example. So then you tell that to a contractor and then they don't want to do the boring stuff like, oh, integrate Google AdWords. So what they return back is a state-of-the-art recommendation system, an algorithm generating the transcript of all your streams, your front page loads in sub 200 milliseconds all over the world, but North America kind of sucks because it's optimized for the world and not North America. A streaming protocol, a service that like you can integrate 20 ad exchanges, blah, 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 because that's way more interesting. Um it sort of gets at what you're asking for, but it gets at it in the way that they wanted to do it. And doing the other thing is something they've done 50 times probably, but you get this overlap in this industry. If you get some, you tend to have people who are uh, like super curious and smart, not that you don't have that anywhere else, but that definitely happens here in software. And then when problems are dumb, intelligent individuals will find a way of coping, right? So that's that's another quote from this article. Yeah. Um, and they they find their escape in solving an imaginary problem. Like you don't need to integrate 20 ad exchanges. No one needs that. But they built it because it's like, does it solve your problem? I guess. And it's way cooler than just doing the one thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just like, I just see this microcosm so many times in my day to day. Uh, and I'm I'm also guilty of it as well. Where you're I like, think we oh, all are. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to think. What is it about this industry that makes us think we're okay doing this? Like, what other industry would that be okay? If I was in, if I was a mechanical engineer, and someone's like, "I need a machine that builds a light bulb," I just use that example <laughs> because that's what my dad used to do. And then you end up with like it's got lasers on it and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, it builds like, light bulbs. It builds. Uh, if you ever want it to the like future, microphones. Yeah, it also builds laser pointers, <laughs> and it has it's all glass, and it has yep. a use is touch screen on it. It's like you would never get away with that. You yeah. you live in a world of constraints, and somehow we get away with it 
Uh, I wonder I though, like I, yeah. I wonder how much of that happens because yeah, the, the the next section of this talks exactly about that. It's basically there uh, when there's like a a chain of people that the requirements go through. The longer that chain is, the more the requirements are going to get either diluted or that people along the way are going to want to put their mark on those requirements. And so, like you know, you have somebody uh, somewhere in could be anywhere. I mean, it could be on the business side of things. It could be more the technical side of things. Somebody is on there as the requirements are getting passed through them is going to say, oh, you know, it would make this a little bit better is this thing. And then you end up with like exactly what we're talking about with these kind of solving uh, imaginary problems. But it got me thinking about like, I wonder about like, you know, the all in one, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a good example, but just like the, the all in one printer that has like printer scanner fax, whatever, but then also does all this other stuff. And it's like, you know, there's the, uh, I'm trying to remember the term. There's a term for it where like you just have your thing does one thing and it doesn't do everything in the world. And I think about those, those things that are a multi-purpose solution and sometimes they're done well, but a lot of times it's just like, it doesn't do any of them particularly well. But I think those things got there through the exact process that you're talking about, which is like, uh, which is like people just saying like, oh, you know what? We c- it, I know we're getting paid to do this build this thing that that builds light bulbs but like what if it also made coffee and like what if it also blah blah blah. um so yeah so so i think about the the chain of people that this has to go through and i i think you're right like i've been guilty of this too i think we're all guilty of it a lot of times without even knowing it because we kind of we like getting ideas we like and a lot of times i don't i I think i'm one of these people who i get a lot of ideas when there's already a seed of an idea planted. I like sort of like plussing things and and making th- and like kind of like working off somebody else's idea. Um, that's fun to me. And so when I can get some of that fun and also feel like I'm having some sort of impact, uh, that's a, a great feeling. But it might actually you have to fight against that sometimes because it might actually not be the requirements. It might actually be diluting the requirements. Yeah. So there's I, I think about this even all the way down to. The way that people write tickets or tasks, whatever you call them in the place you work. this So they talk about this a little bit where they say like the longer the chain, right? The more sort of gaps there are. Uh, and this is also the reason why ChatGPT is not going to take our job anytime soon because what you get from your upper management chain or from the original acceptance criteria is pretty vague. It's like, I need, I need you to solve this problem or like, I need you to do this thing. And then the further down you go from you know, upper management into frontline management, into line management, into developers, you know, whatever, like things get more refined as they go. Uh, so it's like someone has to be doing that refinement step. And in each, in each stage, they're kind of adding a twist to it, whether like, and it depends on the person. You could have someone who's really interested in getting promoted so that at their stage of the, you know, the telephone game, they're like, Ooh, I'm going to add the blockchain you know, or something Mm -hmm. like whatever it is, like, I'm going to refactor this whole thing. And then that gets projected down. And then the people below them then add their own copium strategies for their boring job to like, plus up how exciting this thing is. And it goes all the way down. And I think about at the smallest unit of work at the task level, I have been sort of chastised for writing highly refined tickets before, because it's too prescriptive. Mm-hmm. That an engineer sort of wants the chance to kind of ideate their own solution. And then I could go either way on it because I think like, but I know what needs to happen here. And I don't want a lot of wiggle room. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want this to be 
uh, experimental Lewis and Clark project where you just like go through stuff. I, I want it done this certain way because that's how it delivers. But that's sort of, I get why, because then it's super boring. Like you just get mm-hmm. it and then you follow, like it's, you follow an imperative ticket and you just kind of build something. But it is, it's, that's the smallest unit of this happening, but that happens at every level. It's like, be less prescriptive, man. I, I want to like figure this out. But that, yeah. that, that, uh, spectrum allows like too much sometimes i think that's what this this thing is saying is it it can allow too much yeah it's a tough balance to strike because you do at some level need to be a little bit prescriptive although although yeah i think it depends on like the seniority of the of the developers that that are taking on these tickets you know that's that's at least one factor of it because if you have a very junior developer who's taking on a ticket, you probably want to be a little more, more prescriptive, although not always. Like, you know, you also want to give more junior developers the opportunity to grow and to like make their own decisions about how they do things. You know, separating the what from the how, I always think about it as that. Like the what is sort of the goal of the ticket and the how is the implementation of the ticket. Uh, and you, you have to s- sort of strike a balance between those things. But I think if you... You know, as you were talking about like the blockchain in particular, and that's an example that this guy uses in the article, um, it got me thinking about like what uh, that's an example of what happens when you when you sort of take a piece of the implementation, like a, a piece that you see as like, oh, we could we could use a blockchain to like solve this problem, but it's it's still at a, a, a the the level that you're making that decision at is too high. It's sort of like the business goal from, I don't know, say the CTO is like, solve this problem. It's like solve, we need to solve, I don't know, whatever, we need to solve some sort of like visionary problem. It's at at that, at that level, it's very wide, uh, wide open. It might be like strategic and uh, multi-year or whatever. Um, But then like the next, if, if the next person in the chain, if some VP says, oh, we can use the blockchain to do that from that point down, it becomes all about using the blockchain. It no longer becomes about the the sort of like business vision. It becomes about this implementation detail of like, we need to use blockchain or we need to use AI. We need to use whatever. Um, and so that sort of like twists the, the business goal all the way down the chain until you get to the person doing the implementation and they don't know the why behind it. And they just sort of see that it, they're they're building this thing that has to do with blockchain or whatever. That's that I think that's uh, the thing you most want to avoid is adding implementation details at a at too high of a level. Yeah, it's fair. Um, there, th- again, this article is not broken up into sections, but there is sort of one headline in the middle for some reason, and it says over complexity and natural selection. And this is a really this this is where it starts to go like, ooh, this is taking a yeah. turn. Um, so this, the headline is there can often be an even darker reason for the existence of imaginary problems that problems can help a team or a company grow and even become an integral part of its function. Um, and there's a quote that just says like people who are compensated to find complicated solutions do not have an incentive to implement simplified ones. And this, this rings super true to me. Every career framework I've ever seen at the senior level is like you design cross-functional solutions that multiple teams use and you influence the technical roadmap of blah, blah, blah. And it's like you, you write, you know, huge projects. Like you do like massive projects and many people use the software that you write and stuff. It's like, that's the stated goal of most staff level or senior level engineers 
Mm-hmm. So you're literally incentivized to write something big and complicated, like that multiple teams can use. So you're, it's written in the thing. You need to write an abstraction mm-hmm. to solve multiple teams' problems. Don't even ask if the teams even have the same use case. Like th- <laughs> that, that's not in the thing. It's like you got to figure that out yourself. You got to you got to make this happen, buddy. That yep. you write something that multiple people can use. So it's built into our incentive structure as ICs to build more and more complicated software that more and more people can use. And it's it, but it's like really rare that you get that opportunity that that actually makes engineering sense to do. You just kind of have to bodge it. You have to figure out how to make that work. And at the organizational level, you're a line manager. You've got three people. Your incentive is to have bigger and bigger teams because that's the only way you can move up is that the scope of your work increases and that the number of people that report to you increase and the scope of their work increases, right? That's pretty much the only way to advance as a manager amongst like not being shitty and stuff. But it's written in their career goals to advance and put more food in their family's table and blah, 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 to have a bigger problem to solve and more people to do it. So they're incentivized, whether it makes sense or not from an engineering perspective, to find bodies. Like I mm-hmm. need headcount. Oh, we need headcount. We got to do this thing. I need more teams. And that doesn't also necessarily make sense for the organization, but you create fiefdoms. You know, if I get as much people as possible, I'm going to grow my career. So I mm-hmm. get to justify having those people. And you create reverse incentive structures. Like, is this what's good for the company? I don't know, but it's what people need to grow. So then they do it. And then then the company justifies it by being like, well, we got this whole new vertical over here. Great. And now the fact that we've got all this growth, ooh, great. And then it just gets darker and darker. I'll stop yeah. there because it's like you can go way down this rabbit hole. But Yeah, yeah. You, it, it's, it's, it's easy to go down that rabbit hole. And it's really hard to see that sometimes unless you're looking for it. Like if you, if you know to look for that incentive structure, then you can see it in an organization. But if you're part of it, I think it's even harder to see it when you're when you're in the middle of it and you're just kind of like, no, I'm just making these decisions. I'm 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 like, you know, I, it's my job to uh, work c- across the organization or it's my job to grow the, the organization beneath me. And you're sort of you're not the bad guy in your own story because you're no. just, you're, you know, you're just doing your job. But like if you step back and you see that the incentives are there in the system, that is, that's what's causing this to be your job, then uh, even then it takes active effort to push against it because the the it, it's not going to be like a politically uh, popular solution to try and keep your org- organization the same size it is if that's all it needs to be. It's just sort of like. Yeah, it's it's a hard hole to climb out of. I think if if the incentive structure is there, that is keeping these things in place. Um, the, another great quote. So that quote that that you said before uh, was by um, Nassim Taleb, who is like uh, he's an author. He wrote The Black Swan. He's written a couple of a uh, couple of popular books. Um, there's another great one by Upton Sinclair that is: It's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon his not understanding it. Uh, and I, I heard this again recently, like not just in this article, but that's such a great quote because because, uh, yeah, it's like uh, y- you got to like you got to take the blindfold off. Like, so, you know, it's it's I think it's a, it's really easy to 
for us as humans to 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 sort of like turn a blind eye to to certain things, and it's not great. It's like that's not that's not the way you want to you want to be. But like again, I think a lot of times it's not even intentional. It's just it it happens because the 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 incentives are in place to to make it happen. Yeah. The, so this section just starts hilariously. It goes, have you ever heard about those three web engineers who figured out that secure online banking is actually pretty easy? They developed flawless banking software from scratch using functional design methodology, memory safe languages, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, oh, you have it because they don't exist. <laughs> He's like, <"There's, laughs> however, plenty of teams of thousands of developers who are unable to grasp even simple concepts such as rollbacks, perpetually creating banking software. And then they go on and like, he says, the storage and transfer of numbers is not a particularly hard problem, uh, which is kind of funny to boil down banking into that. It's like, mm -hmm. it's pretty much at the end of the day what it is, is <laughs> yeah, storage and transfer of numbers. <laughs> uh, and he says like, you know, indexing the entire internet and providing search results in sub millisecond times is a hard problem. And three dudes solved that. Like, you know, Sergey, whatever his name is over at Google. Uh, but they say like organizationally, it starts at the top that the company itself, banks in general are, you know, he's got a pretty poor take on banking leadership. So whatever you think about that, he says they're corrupt <laughs> leeches or whatever. And that kind of boils down. He says, it's not the developer's fault though, at the end of the day that they keep making bad banking software. And this is particularly funny because like some bank software has fallen over recently. Um, it's not their fault. Like they're just trying to make money and live their lives and stuff and working on their small portion of some kingdom of a banking app. But in general, it's like we've built uh, artifice around so many things like because it, it's humans just want to build more stuff. We just want to be, it's, it's, it's got, it's gotta be more complicated. There's gotta be more to it than this. Like you get bored. So you end up, Oh, I'm going to add, I'm going to build an addition. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And it's just like, it's impossible to stop that creep from happening. And it happens at the micro level with how you solve your particular task. And it happens at the macro level with how many thousands of people it takes apparently to create a banking app that like hilariously is bad. You know, you don't, <laughs> you don't even want to use it. Uh, and you just think at the end of the day, it's like, how do we get here? And that's sort of where the article then turns into is like, wait, Stepping back, you see this everywhere now. Once you, it's like mm -hmm. the matrix is revealed. You go like, "Oh my god, why do we <laughs> need hundreds of people to do X?" And that you know, you, you need somebody to say, "Well, we need to write clean code," and then somebody to say, "We need to refactor to use a different, we, you know, JavaScript framework." We need somebody to do this and do that, and it's like we build our own complexity in. When in reality, what would happen if we didn't do any of? Like, what would happen if you wrote? the stupid, simple solution every time, like mm -hmm. would, would the software fall over? I would wager probably not. Like I would wager some of the complication we've created. We talked about this is the web too complicated a couple episodes back is like we built stuff to protect against the other stuff that we built. And if you tear it all down, like yeah. how simple is the internet? It's HTML. Yep. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I, I'm thinking about, uh, so yeah, I'll jump around a little bit. Cause there was like a, a yeah, yeah, yeah a thing down towards the bottom. I don't know if you're, if you have more thoughts about the article in general, but it's sort of towards the wrap up section where it says like, um, the, uh, basically talking about the vicious cycle of solving imaginary problems and how like redesigning the submit button using angular material bootstrap 19.13.5 won't make the fact that they store passwords in plain text go away. Um, 
and it's like the, the, we get caught up in the hype train and we you know we've talked about all these like super hyped up javascript there's always new javascript frameworks coming out and it's not just javascript but i think it's especially noticeable javascript but you you spend so much time focusing on the next new thing that you lose track of the fundamentals and that's the like quote unquote boring stuff but it's it's important and it's kind of boring for a reason it's important um but uh i guess taking a step back it made me think about um it made me think about like the the design world because the design world is a little bit different and uh complexity is a thing in design but i think it's like it, it it takes a different form in design than it does in development but i think about in the design world like you do need people who are sort of pushing the envelope you need people who are doing this like really weird far out design so that like you you know so that our our website design doesn't look like the gutenberg bible that was like the first uh, printing <laughs> that was ever done back in the 1600s or whatever. It's like, there always needs to be, I shouldn't say needs to be, but there, there is always going to be this sort of what feels like a natural, uh, movement forward in any sort of, uh, I'm thinking about design, but it happens in all these other, uh, media as well. Um, and I never really thought about it in this term, like in these terms, in terms of, of software development, like, is that also a thing that is valuable despite the fact that it creates complexity and that it might distract from some of the foundational stuff? Uh, you know, you still need the foundational stuff. And I think it's, that's, that's the point where it comes dangerous if you ignore the foundational stuff and only focus on the next new thing. But it is kind of an interesting thought exercise to think about, well, you know, what are the sort of, how would the web look different or not just the web how would development look different now if we hadn't sort of uh, always been pushing the envelope yeah well it would probably be more accessible i'll say that <laughs> i'll say <laughs> that like if you know the web started accessible and then became impossible because of angular i'm pretty sure and then yeah. uh, went from there but there's a line at the end and it it sort of is this defeatist line which i think is it's kind of funny. It says, um, everybody needs to keep solving imaginary problems because if they stop creating and solving these imaginary problems and they focus on the real ones, they might go, they might realize the system is broken. And there's a funny line where they say they might realize Deborah's been sitting in the corner staring at uptime graphs of an internal server farm for 10 years, despite the fact they moved to <laughs> AWS five years ago. Like, uh, but the last line is the one that gets me is that they might realize that 99% of their job is to perpetuate the existence of someone else's job. And I, that actually hit me really hard, especially as you get into like senior engineering and stuff where you're getting further away from the skill set that got you here. So you say like, what got me here won't get me there. What got me here, you know, is, is working on technical solutions that make sense and doing a good job and teaching and stuff like that. What's going to get me there to the next um, level of whatever, like further on in the chain and progressing my career for the next 30 years is getting deeper into the organizational problem, uh, I guess. And, and just like getting other people work and helping their work work. And that is basically existing so that other people's jobs exist and go slightly better. And it's harder and harder to derive value from that kind of, and there's like whole books written on that. Uh, it's just a weird, it's just a weird game. Like I, I, it's, it's, this has made me really existential about software, particularly it's a weird game. You know, yeah. you like 
architects don't write code and yet they're supposed to know everything about code and senior engineers exist to like slightly improve the workflows of junior engineers. I guess it's more than that, but it can be boiled down to a lot of that. Like what if we, I don't know, what if it was a completely flat hierarchy in most companies and you had a direct line from acceptance criteria into the engineer's hands? Like that seems like it would work a lot better, but then people would get mad that there's not a ladder to climb because humans need that too. So there's no way out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's all worthless, everybody. Just yeah. quit now. <laughs> uh, it is a weird game. I would say it's also not just, this is not just a thing in software. And and it's funny, like, just like taking a, you know, taking a pause for a minute before I think about that, that uh, last sentence you were talking about. It's funny because when we were talking about doing this article, uh, I started reading through it and I was like, oh, this is an interesting article. And then I was like, Oh, this article gets really, really like uh, deep, yep. or like takes a turn <laughs> towards the end, and it's definitely uh, it's given us a lot to talk about, a lot to think about. I uh, I feel like I read that last. I think the last line that you described that uh, they might realize ninety nine percent of their job is to perpetuate is to perpetuate the existence of someone else's job. I think you can take that in two ways. I think that the, the way that you took it is to me, the more optimistic way, the more pessimistic, pessimistic way is like, it's your job to perpetuate the person, uh, the people up the chain from you. It's your job to sort of perpetuate their jobs. I, to me, that's like sort of a, a darker, uh, way to think about it. And yeah. I, and, and I, I'm not going to go in into like that chain of thought because I think the other way, the way, the way that you described it is actually much more optimistic to me. It's like, if, if your job as you climb the ladder or as you become more senior is to, uh, make people who are more junior than you is to make their jobs either more enjoyable or more efficient or easier. Um, to me, that's like a, I don't know. I, 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 there's, I enjoy doing that, but I also, I think that's, there's a lot of value there because you're just, you're, you're helping people. It's kind of the same, the similar value to it that, that I see in education. You're like, um, you're helping, uh, people learn from maybe your mistakes and also like they will then start from where you have gotten to. It's sort of this, like, uh, uh, what's that expression about? Like, if I could see farther, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. It's, it's, sure. it's like, yeah. um, it's like, it, 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 I don't know. To me, that's an optimistic way of looking at it because it, it, it helps you be the shoulders that, that people can, can stand on. But, um, uh, I don't know. I, I, well, I don't think, yeah, I've no, really so like I, I don't want this to be interpreted that mentorship and, helping junior engineers is bad. Like that's literally my bread and butter is something I, yeah. I wish that I could do it every day. Yeah. I feel as though the job gets detached from that altruistic goal. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it's just recent, like my actual job is detached from that. So mm. I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, I, someone reached out to me today and said like, I love all of your gentle hints that things aren't great at your job. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just come on and say, it's not good. Um, so, they can fire me. I don't care. Um, yeah, I think I don't want that to be the interpretation. And I feel like that's that's me even intimating that is, is the fact that I'm off of my axis as my spinner is off the axis a little bit mm-hmm. where I'm looking at these things in a negative light. That's the stuff that is the juice. And I, I, I have this example that I think about. Why 
the United States was successful in World War II in in the air. We won because of our air superiority. And we had air superiority for one particular reason. It's really simple. Our best pilots, before they died in combat, were pulled off the line and brought back as teachers. And they hated it. There's like, I want to be out there. But they cre- they generally raised the level of expertise for everybody going out every time a little bit more. And because they did that, the overall body of excellence was higher. Now, you know, compare that or contrast that with Axis powers, uh, particularly Japan, their best pilots would fly until they died. And you just lose all that expertise right off the bat. So I think, yeah, this is exactly what we should be doing. You know, that's not the whole job though. What you'll end up doing is like, I also have to now create some super complicated thing to justify my existence so that I can go mentor people about how to write simple code. Uh, because <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's in my it's in my job criteria. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's that's more what it is. Maybe it's just where I'm at at a particularly large corporation that has really gone deep into this type of bureaucracy, um, where you you end up creating imaginary problems because like it's hard to cope with your day job. Uh, that maybe it's gotten to me here. Yeah. I think a lot of companies are like that though. I think that um, you know. It, Companies have to actively incentivize certain things, or if they don't, I think they end up incentivizing, you know, individual uh, performance. I, I think about uh, Critter, who was both of our um, Mike Crittenden was both of our previous manager, and he uh, always placed a really high value on the team, on like teamwork, team dynamics, team gelling. That's always been his team thing. Gelling, like, yeah, yeah. I I fully buy into that. You know, I think that like. If a, if a team is operating at a level where everybody is kind of like building off of each other, there is uh, uh, there's like a chemistry there and you, you re- it really is the, you're greater than some of your parts. Um, but I think that a lot of companies don't actively incentivize that. And what happens is uh, they, they just target the people who are doing the high impact work by themselves. They tar- they, they're sort of like they promote individuals who are doing high visibility work that is like they are solely responsible for that and uh i you know i get it like i get how that happens but i think that uh i i don't think it's the the best way forward and i don't think it's the best way to to create like a a long-lasting culture yeah yeah i think that's a good uh that's a good boater wrap around that one tie on that one whatever you say that (laughs) yeah good wisdoms joe well uh let's see uh, <laughs> I don't have a good, yeah. I don't have a, I was just, I, I was just thinking about how I would need a good transition into our sound effect. And I remember we don't have any sound effects. So uh, on that note, what are you learning? I guess I'll ask you, Joe. Yeah. What are you, you went, learning? You what are you learning? What am I learning? Um, so I am, <clears throat> the past couple of weeks, I ha- or not past couple of weeks, this week, I was, uh, I was looking at this website called, uh, it looks like Oxfat, but it's not Oxfat. It's 0xf.at. And uh, you know what I, I like about it? It's I'm not necessarily like learning a lot from it, but it's 
it's like tickling the learning muscle because it rem- it reminds me of these um these websites that I used to go to they're like puzzle websites so you uh this website in particular is basically just like a form you have to figure out the password and it's kind of the same thing over and over again it's got like I don't know 30 40 different levels something like that and they become progressively harder and at the beginning it's really easy you just like look at the source code basically and the source code is like you know if password equals uh, ABC, then like you win or whatever. And so then you just put ABC into the field and it, and it goes and, and then you move on to the next level, but it gets harder and harder. And it reminded me of these, this old website. I can't, I, I, I can't think of the name of it. I'm maybe I should, I should go try and find it, but it was like this sort of like mystery website that it was the same kind of thing, but you had to like search through the source code of this website to, to solve these puzzles and the puzzles got super hard. So anyway, um, Maybe a little bit of a cop out, kind of like usual, but uh, it's it's been it's like a this. No, this zero, is cool. Yeah, yeah. this Oxfat this isn't like hey, a dinosaur had feathers once. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> I'll never forgive you for that one. This is super cool. Uh, it does look like Oxfat when you read the title. This is super yep. cool. Yeah, nice. Uh, what are you learning? All right. Uh, well, continuing my. Uh, process to WAS certification. So I'll just, I'll always kind of plug that one because it's like an ongoing uh, process. And along the way, so I've been going through basically Axe DQ. DQ University is the training organization for the WAS certification uh, or one of them, but they're like probably the leading one that everybody thinks about. They also produce the Axe tool. Uh, so, you know, anyways, we're going through that. I went, I started again, all the way back at the beginning of the training process, which is going back like many, many, many hours. And now I'm creating flashcards for everything. Uh, nice. Cause there is, it is a certification test. Also, I'm an old man and I remember what it was like to study with flashcards. Um, but yep. I'm using digital flashcards because I'm Ooh. cool. So uh, Anki? Quiz- using Anki? Quizlet. 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 Okay. Yeah, I have a bunch of, I actually have a ton of Quizlet flashcards. If anyone ever goes to my Coop, it's my profile is Cooper built. Yeah, there's like a bunch of JavaScript stuff in there and React stuff. And there's probably not uh, fresh nice. anymore. But uh, but anyway, so I'm going all the way back to create flashcards for this, partly because I need something to study. And also because I, hopefully I can share this with other folks so that they can kind of, it's broken down by folders. They'll get some stuff for um, accessibility training along the way. So that would be nice. And then the other thing I'm doing, uh, a while back, I bought a license to Tyler McGinnis's uh, website, UI.dev. It used to be like TylerMcGinnis.com. He does training uh, for like, you know, courses basically for React and JavaScript or whatever. Uh, I like his teaching methods. He has a really cool way of he writes everything down and he creates really interesting tools to show you things like the event loop and uh, context and stuff like that. He's built really, really cool hands-on tools. And he'll write the entire video out in long form blog format and you read it and then you go watch his video and that's really nice. And then there's like quizzes and stuff. So a lot of good uh, first principles learning methodology there, or pedagogy, 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 whatever. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce that word. Of I, don't know methodologies. <laughs> I definitely yeah. don't know how to pronounce that word. <laughs> Anyways, he released a new course uh, called React GG. Uh, it's react.gg. Nice. And it is, he says like, a masterpiece of teaching. And I, I was just like, wow, sure. I want to see what this is like. Cause I've taken a bunch of react courses over the years. Mm-hmm. And I even did a uh, Epic react from Kent Dodds, which is like a f- super expensive license. That wouldn't hurt bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like 500 bucks, 
but wow. it was a great course and I got a lot out of it, even as a reactive. I'm like, I have to get, I have to refresh on react all the time. Um, cause like I'll get away from it and I'll just start writing it and forget sometimes the real, like the stuff that's going on under, under the hood. Anyways. So I started that course the other day and I'll report back. Um, if it's any good, because it is an expensive license, like 350 bucks. So I'll let you know, dear listener, if it's worth buying. Um, so that's what I'm doing right now. Nice. That's a, that's a good, that's a good way to learn getting back to the, like, you know, you read through the material and then later on you make flashcards. I tend to just like, if I'm going to do something like that, I, my instinct is to just make the flashcards up front. But I think it's actually a much better idea to just like, read through the material or like, you know, soak in all the material at first and then go back and like, you know, study it a little bit more formally after that because you get this first exposure to it and you can sort of, I think, see the, 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 uh, some of the important points, uh, but not spend too much time focusing on them and then like go back and and focus on them. Yeah. Yeah. So I like his, his learning methods. Uh, Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, so we've reached that point in the, in the show where it's time to sail away on the good news cruise. And I can only assume that post show Joe is going to put in the music <laughs> here. <laughs> Just in case you miss it. Oh, per- <laughs> we need to get Ron in here to tweet us. Tweet in. That's right. That's right. Um, okay. You went first on learning. I did. Okay. I did. You got some good news for us? I do. Uh, this might be a little old by the time. I don't know when this happened, but it's just a cool story. Four Colombian children uh, were found alive in a jungle five yeah. weeks after a plane crash. This isn't like any jungle. This is like the Amazon. Uh, yep. And these kids are, they're like 13, 9, 4, and a 12-month-old baby. Wow. Plane crash in the jungle, deep in the Amazon, and like <laughs> they had knowledge somehow. Wow. I'm assuming because they've got awesome parents. Uh, they found shelter. They got food. They ate. They got water. Most adults, if you ever watch like Naked and Afraid, they survive yeah. like a day in the yeah. jungle and they have like a TV crew. They had, they had to hold a baby. I don't understand how they helped. I don't even, I don't know. And they did Mind it not for way. like a day, but for five weeks Jeez. and sh- kudos to like uh, I, I, the entire Colombian military was in there just trying to figure out where the hell they were. A uh, bunch of people got involved they found the aircraft and then like tracked them based on basically detritus that they left behind as they tried to find shelter and food. I just think this is staggering like that, that these kids were able to do this uh, and that people were able to find them. You know, these are the type of stories that restore my uh, love of humanity. Super cool. Yeah. That's the, that is amazing. I did hear about that story. I didn't hear some of the details. I didn't realize there was a 12 month old, uh, yeah, it really is mind-boggling and just so nice to see like a happy, happy, happy ending, you know, ending to yeah. that to that story. Um, nice. My uh, my good news is also about children. It's uh, that California is going to have a statewide expansion of Dolly Parton's Imagination Library to provide universal access to free books for young children. 
Uh, I had never heard of Dolly Parton's Imagination Library, but it's apparently uh, a program that for kids under five, they can get a free book in the mail every month. Um, and it's also California is the first state to offer a fully bilingual option for the Dolly Parton Imagination Library. Any news with Dolly Parton in it is just great news. I, I was I just going to say, name, man. <laughs> I like, hear the name Dolly Parton and I'm just like, what a national treasure. I pray that it's not one of those things where you find out like Dolly Parton is terrible or something under the because I, I, I feel like that keeps happening. I feel like you can't corrupt Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton is just I can't believe that's a great idea. You just mail mm-hmm. books to kids because what if they couldn't even get to the library? Like what about those yeah. kids? You know, and yeah. you're covering all those bases. Also, books for kids close close to my heart. My wife's running for. Um, library trustee to protect the banning of books in Peabody or like fight against the banning of books in our hometown or a town we live in. We care a lot about that in this house. Um, So cool. That is great news. Shout out to California. Who doing the right thing there. (laughs) And Dolly Parton. Did you see Dolly Parton and Miley Cyrus uh, on New Year's Eve when they did their New Year's Eve show together? No, Dolly Parton is Miley Cyrus's godmother. I'm not like a huge musical fan of, Miley Cyrus, but they did a couple duets that were just like, oh man, so good. (laughs) Dolly Parton is still great at singing too. And she still does all this amazing philanthropic work. So national treasure. Yep. Well, I think that's going to about do it. Uh, Let's see. You want to, you want to take us out? You do, you do spiel. You got it. Go to runtimerundown.com slash suggestions. Leave us a note. You might get shouted out at the beginning of an episode. Uh, like we did for Rail Connor and Ryan. Um, yeah, like we haven't gotten a review in a long time. It's super helpful if you get one. So if you pop over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a review. It doesn't have to be five stars. You rate us however you feel. I hope it is. And if not, go to runtimerundown.com slash suggestion and tell us how to get to <laughs> tell five us why. stars. Yeah. yeah, tell us why. But uh, reviews will help. Like, you know, get us out there. I always say we're not going to advertise, but we do love knowing that people listen and, and we, we want to reach a broader audience because we want to hear from you, get input back from you. Um, so yeah, if you can leave a review, that'd be great. Otherwise you can go to each episode on the website. Uh, you can get involved in conversation. If you want, we answer back. We definitely do. Uh, and except another for me, who apparently doesn't get yeah, yeah, emails. Maybe Jonas working on his <laughs> email setup. Also yep. in a couple of, let's see, a couple of weeks here, maybe a month. Um, We're going to be taking a little break. Just so you remember at the year mark for the podcast, we're going to take a couple weeks to think about new stuff to do and work on the website and all that. So keep a lookout for that. But thank you for listening in the meantime. What do you got, Joe? Uh, That's it. I got nothing else. I will say I hope you all have a good week and we will see you back here next week. See you next week.